It's awesome to be here at last. I had the privilege of uh, doing some training for church planning and your pastor Dex was there and uh, we got to know each other and Sam and uh, a few of you others here I know as well. So it's great to be here tonight. Let me just open in prayer. Father, we praise your name. We bless you that you are the great father and that we can just learn from your love tonight. We thank you for your presence and your purpose May your words come straight from your throne room to our hearts tonight. I don't want to get in the way. So Lord, just speak. And we thank you that you open every heart right now to receive your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so I just want to start in Galatians 4, 4 to 7. And I'm going to read this particular passage from the Message Translation. But when the time arrived that was set by God the Father, God sent his Son. Born among us of a woman, born under the conditions of the law so that he might redeem those of us who have been kidnapped by the law. Thus we have been set free to experience our rightful heritage. You can tell for sure that you are now fully adopted as his son, own children, because God sent the spirit of his son into our lives, crying out, Papa, Father. Doesn't that privilege of intimate conversation with God make it plain that you are not a slave, but a child? And if you're a child, you're also an heir with complete access to the inheritance. Come on, complete access to the inheritance. What does that inheritance look like? Well, it's the kingdom of heaven. It's the cattle on a thousand hills. It's the riches and wealth of a heavenly father who made you with purpose greater than the stars we see at night. That is your inheritance. And it's not, you know, in 20 years, 30 years when you pass away, maybe. It's right now. Complete access as sons and daughters of the king. And, you know, so often we act like we're in this kind of slave master relationship. Like, you know, we we, we understand God is this big boss up there and we got to do everything he says or look out, a thunderbolt's coming from heaven. But Romans 8.15 tells us, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Again, Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Hallelujah. The spirit of sonship. I want you to really understand tonight that God is calling us all as sons and daughters back home. He's calling us to enter into that inheritance. To enter into what it means to be a son and daughter of the living King. And you know, this understanding of God born out of fear comes from Adam and Eve when they ate the fruit and they hid in fear. And Satan always brings fear. You know why Satan always brings fear? I want you to really get this tonight. He brings fear because fear is faith. Faith in him. Faith that he's got more power than God. Fear is simply saying, Satan, you've got more power than my God to affect my life. And I'm in fear right now because I believe you have more power than my God. And so he always brings fear. He always brings fear. And what did Jesus say? You know, when when Jarius is there and his daughter's just died and he's going, what is going on with my life? My daughter's dead. What was that woman with the issue of blood even doing interrupting my life? Because now my daughter's dead. The first thing Jesus said 
don't be afraid. Just believe. Jesus always says, you, you read through the scriptures, you read through them. He is always saying, don't be afraid. When people come to him, he was saying, don't be afraid because what pleases God is what? Faith. Faith believes that God is more powerful than the devil, but fear believes, has faith, that the devil is more powerful than God. So the devil's always going to make you afraid. And that's why the Bible says there is no fear in perfect love because it drives out all fear. Because God is not a God to bring you to fear. He's a God to bring you to faith. And he always says, don't be afraid. You are spirit, sons of my spirit. You are sons and daughters of the living God. God knew what had happened to Adam and Eve. He knew where they were. You know, he didn't need a GPS telling him, where's Adam and Eve hiding out in the garden? You know, He didn't wonder where they were, but he called out, where are you? He called out because he's always calling out to us. Where are you? Where are you? Are you, are you hiding in a hole? Are you hiding in your home? Are you hiding out even in your church? You know, you're hiding out in some place in fear. And he's saying, enter in to a spirit of sonship. Enter in to the Abba Father where you can go, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. You know, he's always searching for us because he does not want us to be afraid. You know, I want to tell you a story about China. And uh, I've been to China a couple of times. And uh, one time I went with my family. We went on a mission trip just to pray. But you know, when you, you go on a mission trip, sometimes you do a little you know, sightseeing on the side, right? <laughs> so we decided to go to Harbin in China. Now, Harbin is right up in the north, uh, east of China. It's uh, just south of the, the border with Russia. And uh, it's cold in January there. It gets to negative 40 degrees. And, uh, you know, you walk outside and your hair just snap freezes and you can just break off your hair. It's weird. It's like you're walking around in a freezer, but it's twice as cold as if you're in a freezer because a freezer is about negative 18. And we're walking around in negative 40. It's cold. But anyway, we decide we're going to try skiing for the first time ever in our lives. And you... This Chinese ski resort, you know, it wasn't quite like a ski resort that we have here in, you know, maybe Melbourne or Victoria. It wasn't that fancy. And, you know, there was this big slope that you could go down. And as we entered into this Chinese resort, I call it resort very loosely, you know. (laughs) If you could give it one star, that would be kind of exaggerating. (laughs) And so there's like about 10 Chinese guys that surround the five of us. And of course, they're all talking in Mandarin. We have no idea what they're saying. But apparently, they're our instructors. And, uh, you know, we only need one instructor. And we realize that the 10 of them want to be paid. You know, all of them want to be paid. And I'm trying to get across that we need one instructor if we're going to pay, right? We don't need 10 guys who can't even speak English to teach us how to ski. And so, anyway, I ring my friend who's, you know, a Chinese person who's staying in Harbin and didn't come to the ski field. I said, can you translate for us? So I'm there on my cell phone, my mobile phone, talking to my Chinese friend. And then I ask her to translate to these guys. I mean, it's amazing what technology can do, you know. (laughs) Can you tell them that we only want one guy? 
And can you tell him that you'll translate his instructions on how to teach us to ski via the mobile phone? And so (laughs) these nine guys disappear and they're mad. They're mad because, you know, they're missing out on the money. They want the money. And there's this one lucky guy left. You know, he's the one who's going to get the money. And, you know, he's thinking this is great. And then we find out that their teaching technique was a very interesting technique. It's full of instruction and wisdom and uh, must have taken them a long time of study and understanding how to train like this. I recommend this training for all your leaders. It's, it's a sensational way of training you how to ski. They got my son, my, my very young son, maybe he was about eight years old, and uh, they put him on the slope and they just give him a push. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what is this? <laughs> we didn't need a translation, you know. You don't need a translation for a shove up your backside. <laughs> His first time ever to ski, because he came to grief about halfway down the slope. And so after that, we realized that it was probably a waste of time and money paying to be instructed by this fellow. And so we asked him to vacate the ski field and allow us to teach ourselves. <laughs> anyway, they had this... Uh, you would call it um, a chairlift, but it wasn't really a chairlift. It was like a pole with a little rubber round seat like this. And, uh, you know, this was how good this uh, chairlift was because as we were going up on the chairlift, it came off the cable. And so we're all falling on the ground <laughs> and we're hanging on to this, this um, pole and we've been dragged up the... St- <laughs> Fortunately, it was quite low to the ground, you know, and you know, we've been dragged along the cable and you can imagine what a mess it was. So, you know, everything gets shut down while they fix this thing. I think it must have been a frequent occurrence because they were obviously used to this happening. Anyway, I'm getting to the point of my story in a moment. <laughs> my young son, who's now um, effectively learnt to ski much better than me in about five minutes by being shoved down the slope, Decides that he wants to go to the fast slope. You know, the, 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 the ski slope was split in two. So we started off halfway. And at the bottom half was, you know, the smaller slope. And then as you went up to the top, it got steeper and steeper. So if you went right to the top, it was really fast. And he said, Dad, Dad, I want to go to the top. I said, no way. Now, who knows what happens when you tell an eight-year-old no way? <laughs> you know... Pastor Dex thinks Pastor Dex thinks that it's hard now. <laughs> Wait till you get to the teenage years, I'm telling you. <laughs> Birth has nothing on those years. <laughs> so anyway, I told him, no way are you going up the top. And the moment I turned my back, he's riding up this chairlift. Of course, he falls off the chairlift halfway up to the top of the slope and he cannot get back on it so the only way for him to get down is to get onto the slope and so he's got all his skis and he's crawling onto the slope and he can't get up because he's halfway on the slope you know there's no flat area and he keeps falling down and I'm looking up there and you have to understand that I've tried to ski down this slope and I've basically rolled all the way down (laughs) I have no skiing ability at all and uh I look at my son and I think, I have to go and help him. I'm his dad, right? 
for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Well, I had to give myself for my son right then. And I realized that I had to go up to the top of this slope and help him. But what I understood was that what goes up must come down. And for me to go up means I must come down. And the only way I was going to come down was on my backside all the way down that mountain. <laughs> and so I climbed on this stupid chairlift that kept breaking and I, I haul myself up. And of course, I fall off this chairlift just as I get to him because I have to, because I can't go to the top because he's halfway down. And then I crawl over. And as I'm about this far from him, he gets up and skis down. <laughs> And I'm thinking, my goodness. Because my wife was telling me, you know, Chris, you have to go. You have to go. You can't sit there. He's your son. You have to go. And then he skis down. And so I, I, I crawl up to the top of this, the, the, this great big mountain. I mean, it wasn't that big, but it, 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 it looked like Everest to me at that point. And I get on my skis. And I ski and I'm going great for about 10 meters. And then I start roly-poling down this hill. My skis going everywhere. My backside going bump, 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 bump. And I wind up at the bottom of this mountain, bruised and battered. And for the next two hours, I sit there, basically trying to swallow my pride and uh, my tears. (laughs) And we, we work out it's well and truly time to go home. And so, of course, all the men who were helping us out have disappeared because they're not going to get paid. And so we're struggling back to this ski house to deliver our skis and rented equipment. And I'm about that far from the wall is about how far I am from the ski house that I hit this ice. And I just go zoomp and fall straight back on my bottom. My skis clatter around me. And at that point, I've kind of had enough, you know. And I pick up these skis and I just throw them at the ski. I said, take your skis. I don't want them anymore. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> the point of my story was not to embarrass myself, but to say that the father is always willing to go wherever his son needs him. And this is the inheritance we have. And it doesn't matter what it's going to cost the father. It doesn't matter what it's going to cost him, what it's going to hurt, how much money he's going to have to pay, whatever it is, he will go and rescue his son. And, you know, we have this wrong thinking of God that, you know, with this slave master relationship or, you know, am I good enough for his love? No, you're not. Jesus didn't die because you're good. He died because the Father is good. And the Father has a plan. Father always has a plan. You know, when my son was, you know, struggling to come down, I had a plan. I mean, he escaped my plan, but I had a plan. (laughs) But his plans, our Father's plans in heaven are always perfect. And he sees us before we even need those plans. And he's prepared and ready. That's what it is to have a Father in heaven. Let's go to Luke chapter 15. I warned Pastor Dex, you know, I'm used to preaching in Africa and there they expect you to preach for three hours. So I hope you brought your tea and coffee inside. (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) 
Verse 11, Luke 15. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property amongst them, between them, the two brothers. Not long after that, the younger one, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. This guy was a Jew, and he was sent to feed pigs. You've got to understand, a Jewish person does not touch pigs. They're unclean. And he was sent to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him as filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My father, the, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and in found. Notice in verse 11 that both sons received the inheritance. He divided among the two of them. You know, we focus on the younger son, but we forget that the older son also received his inheritance. Had the father died? No. The father was alive and kicking. <laughs> he was even waiting for his son to return. Usually we receive our inheritance when our father dies, right? That's when we receive it. But we are spirits of sons of the living God. And we have complete access to the inheritance. Our father doesn't have to die. Jesus already died. He already paid the price. We have complete access. And here these two sons had complete access to the inheritance. Their father didn't have to die. They already had access. And you know, we have access to the inheritance. 
We have access to the riches of God. We have access to the forgiveness of God. We have access to His grace. What are we doing with that access? Are we squandering it? Are we hiding it? Are we keeping it in a box and saying, this is mine and no one else's? What are you doing with your inheritance? Because the older son, you know, he had access. But what did he say to the father? You've given me nothing. And how many of you have said to God, what are you doing? Where are you? Just like that older son, you've given me nothing. Some people are bitter at God because they think he hasn't answered their prayers because they think he hasn't shown up when they needed him. They haven't understood their access to the inheritance. They haven't understood what the love of the Father really means. What I like about this too is that God doesn't say to you, okay, here's the inheritance, this is what you've got to do with it. He gave it to the son without instruction. He gave it to the son. He didn't say, okay, you've got to do this and do that and do this. He risked all, believing that whatever his son did, he would come back to the father. You know, when God sent Jesus, he didn't send them to a mature age couple. You know, Mary was probably about 14. Joseph, probably 16. God entrusted the salvation of the world to a bunch of teenagers. Now I was joking with Pastor Dex about the teenage years. Can you imagine, is anyone here like 14 to 16? Can you imagine that you're pregnant by the Holy Spirit and you're giving birth to a living God who's going to save this world from their sins and you're like 14? Man, you think you've got problems. You think you've got responsibility. God risked all, you know, he, he gives us access to this inheritance and He gives us His Word to instruct us, but He never forces you to do what He wants. He gives you the choice. He gives you the choice. And I want to ask you, what are you doing with that access that you have to His inheritance? Verse 17 to 18, the son realizes and he comes to his senses and he has that light bulb moment. <laughs> Here I am feeding pigs and I can't even eat myself. And my, my dad, you know, he's actually quite rich. His servants have plenty to eat. He has this light bulb moment. And what does he do? He repents. He says, I will go back and confess that I have sinned against my father. You know, when we realize we've wasted our inheritance that we have from God, repentance is key. We need to come before Him and acknowledge that we've wrecked and wasted all that He's given to us. But the joy in all of this is the Father is always searching. And you know, we focus on how the Father was waiting, and you've probably heard this preached many times, and the Father was waiting for the Son, but what happened when the older boy wouldn't come in? The Father went to him. The Father went to him. God is always reaching out. Whether you're, you're coming in repentance or whether you're in bitterness and anger, the Father is always reaching out. Just like Peter, when he stepped out of the boat and he was drowning in his fear of the wind and the waves, Jesus was right there reaching out to him. Faith is the key. You see, the younger son had faith that he would be accepted by the father. But the older son did not have faith that he had access to the inheritance. You haven't given me anything. He didn't recognize 
who the father was. He didn't recognize, but the younger son, he recognized that the father would accept him. But even then, he did not know that he had full rights to sonship still. Before he can even finish talking to his father, before he can even finish saying, just make me a servant, the father is already prepared. In fact, the father was already prepared before the son came home. He had the cloak ready. He, had the ring. he said, go and get them. They were ready. They were re- the cloak was ready. The sandals were ready. The ring was ready. Go and get them. They were ready and prepared. Grab the fattened calf and kill it. Everything was ready for the son to return. The Father is always ready for us. He's already ready for you, wherever you are, to return to Him. David Sagal tells the story of his young son. His young son was not even two, and he's just learned to say daddy. And, and Pastor Dex, when, when you, your, your child says daddy for the first time, it's like your heart just like leaps out of your chest. You know, it's like that proud dad moment when you hear daddy. And it's kind of a bit of a competition. You know, is it going to be daddy or mummy first? You know? <laughs> who, who do they love the best? <laughs> Who's going to be the, the first word? And you're kind of there at night. Daddy, daddy, daddy. Whispering in the ear, daddy, daddy. That's the first word, daddy, daddy. And mummy's there breastfeeding, mummy, mummy. <laughs> I'm kidding, all right? It's not a competition. <laughs> it happened today. <laughs> See, I'm speaking truth. <laughs> so his young son has just learned to say daddy and his son has this ear infection and he's struggling with asthma and he's just, you know, bawling out snot and tears and, and, and blubber and he's just sick all over. And, and this happens sometimes with our kids, you know, they get sick. And, and every time his dad would come home from work, his little two-year-old would run, Daddy, 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 Daddy. Because it was like the only word he could say. But he's got all this blubber and snot and filth and vomit all down his face and his front. And he just slobbers all over his dad's shirt hugging him and rubbing his face in his dad's face and all of his snot and everything goes all over his dad's face. His dad didn't mind. His dad loved it because even though he slimed every shirt his dad was wearing, he was not repulsed because he loved his son deeply and enjoyed the love. And you know, when this son came home smelling of the pigsty, his father didn't say, go and take a bath, son, and then we'll put on the robe. No, he took him in his filth and he covered him with the robe of righteousness. You see, God doesn't wait and say, oh, you go and get cleaned up first before you can come into my presence. You are already cleaned up by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus died and gave his life and he cleaned you up. And it doesn't matter where you are, you can come to him right now and he'll put on that robe. It doesn't matter how much you stink, how much you slime his holy garment, you can't repulse his love. And it reminded David, it reminded him that when we are sick with sin and our sin is disgusting to God, when we are sick with sin, that God loves us deeply and desires that we run to him as a son crying, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, take me in your arms. 
And so often we think that our, our sickness, God doesn't want to be near us, but He comes to us because of Jesus. Yeah, He can't be near our sin, but because of Jesus, our sin is washed away. And so we come to Him in, in all the, the slime of our sin and we, we slobber all over God's holy cloak. And He says, I love you. Welcome home. Here's the ring. Here's the sandals. Here's the robe of righteousness. Let's have a party because you were lost, but now you're found. Paul writes with great energy and passion in his desire for the Ephesians to know the love of their Father in heaven. Let's go to Ephesians 3. Three verse twelve. In him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Confidence. Freedom and confidence. Verse fourteen. And I want you to really get this deep down in your soul, because what I'm going to tell you next. What I'm going to interpret out of the next scripture has the power to set you free from anything that can hold you back. Paul says in verse 14, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Look at verse 16 there. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. What is this power doing? Is it being given that you can bust up demons? Is it being given so that you can raise the dead? Is it being given so that you can have wealth beyond Bill Gates? Is that what Paul is saying here, that this power is being given for? You know, we call out for God's power and we don't understand actually what God really wants us to know with this power. What God really wants us to get in our our, our silly little human head, what this power is for. And we see in 18 that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. What is it? To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. It's all in His love, guys. This power in heaven The might of heaven is given. Paul is on his knees crying out that you might know how great is the Father's love. Because everything comes from the love of the Father. And this empowerment from heaven, this empowerment from heaven is given for this one purpose. That you might know how wide and high and deep the breadth of the Father's love for you. 
The word power is connected directly to knowing His love. That is the place of recognition that has been given for you and nothing can be withheld. In fact, you cannot ask or even imagine what He wants to do for you. Because if you knew how much God loved you, if you really understood the love of the Father, You wouldn't run from Him. You wouldn't run from His Word. You wouldn't run from what He's asking. You would run to where He's calling you. You would run in obedience to everything that He asked you to do. And, you know, I I heard this guy talking. He'd been to the persecuted church and, and this guy was sharing with him and he said, Hey, did you ever think about the sheep? You know, what do sheep do? They listen to the voice of the shepherd. And what do they do? They follow the shepherd. They hear his voice, they know his voice, and they follow him. And he said to this guy, he said, did you ever think that you might be the one? He said, what do you mean? What do you mean the one? He said, well, the Western church hears the voice of the Father. But if it's not comfortable, if it's not cozy, if it's not something that fits in with their timeline, they go, thanks, but I'll leave it. Do we hear his voice and obey? Because they are the ones that are the 99. It's the lost that don't hear and obey. It's the lost that hear and wander off in their own direction. And maybe, just maybe, we're the one that God has left the 99 behind to find, even when you're sitting in church. Because you're a sheep and you hear his voice, but you don't follow it. Because you don't understand how much the Father loves you. And you see these guys in the persecuted church, they are whipped, they are beaten, they are imprisoned, they are martyred for their faith and they don't want to be quiet. You know, persecution ends the moment you're quiet about Jesus. You can end persecution tomorrow. You just have to be quiet about Jesus. But why can't they be quiet? Because they know the love of the Father and they cannot stop talking about it. The love of the Father, that you might know the love, the breadth, the height, the width, the depth of the love of the Father. All power in heaven is employed that you might know how much the Father loves you. We think we have to earn it and we fall again into religion instead of relationship. The prodigal son thinking he had to be a servant. He somehow had to earn his position again with the father. The the, the older brother looking like he had it all done by his good works. You know, the younger son thinking he couldn't possibly earn. The older son thinking he'd done it all by his works of his hand. They were both wrong. They didn't need to earn it. And they couldn't achieve it. It was just a free gift. A gift given by the sacrifice of the son. It's like we don't tap into his power because we are still in a place of unworthiness or self-righteousness thinking that we haven't done enough or we've done it all and we miss his power Bob Russell tells the story of a father observing his young son attempting to lift a rock out of a sand pit the young son gave up I'm sorry I'm already over time aren't I (laughs) can you just ask you to stay with me for a few more minutes He's in this sand pit 
And his son is trying to lift, and he gets his brand new toy. His dad, you know, Pastor Dex is his dad. He's a good dad. He's, he's given him this, you know, big crane thing. And he's trying to lift this rock. But this rock won't move. And suddenly this, this brand new Christmas present is broken because he can't lift this rock with it. And he's bawling his eyes out. And dad comes up and he's, Dad, Dad, I want to move this rock. It's in the way of my road. You know, I want to drive my car along and I've got this truck and I, this rock is in the way and I can't move it. And Dad, Dad, the grain you bought me, I broke it trying to move the rock. And what can I do? I've got... And his dad says, have you used everything available to you to try and move that rock? Yes, Dad, look, my toy, it's even broken. He says, no, you haven't, son. You haven't used everything available to you. And the son says, what do you mean, Dad? Can't you see my toys? You haven't asked your father. You haven't asked your father. And his father bent down and picked up that rock and threw it out of that sandpit like it was a little golf ball. You see, we don't access the power of our father because we don't understand his love. And we spend our lives breaking all our stuff, trying to somehow move things in our life and get things out of our way. And we just need to come to the love of the Father and say, God, just move it for me. Just pick it up and get rid of it. We don't understand the love. And so we don't understand the power that we have access to. What did it say in Romans 8.15? We are not slaves, but sons. Our Father is there, always ready to help and protect. Leonard Sweet shares about a tribe of Native Americans and their, their, their right of manhood. They take their son who's 13 and they blindfold him and they take him off into the, the woods and they, they walk him for miles away from the camp and they leave him in the darkness blindfolded all night. And when the sun comes awake in the morning with the, the dawning of the sun, he takes off his blindfold and his father's just two feet away. All night, his father was with him, protecting him. But he had no idea. He had no idea. You see, the father is always there for us, always protecting us, always covering us. Light comes and the father is there. Fathers play a vital role in society and we need to understand this. And I want you to get this and I'll be almost finished. We need to step into the role of fathers. Our fathers need to rise up in this nation. They need to stand up. Without our Heavenly Father, there would be nothing. And fathers, you need to stand up. The world suffers without fathers who stand for what they need to stand. Here's some statistics about fathers. And, you know, I mean nothing against single-parent families here. I just want to talk about fathers right now because this is really important. Our fathers need to understand their place in our kingdom of God. Children in single-parent families are five times more likely to be poor and half the single mothers live below the poverty line. Children of divorce suffer intense grief, which often lasts many years. Even as young adults, they are nearly twice as likely to require psychological help. Children from disrupted families have more academic, academic and behavioural problems at school and are nearly twice as likely to drop out of high school. Girls in single-parent homes are two and a half times more likely to have a child out of wedlock. And this one is really the one that gets me. This is the one that cuts me to the heart and makes me wonder what on earth are we doing? Crime and substance abuse are strongly linked to fatherless households. 60% of rapists grew up in fatherless homes. 72% of adolescent murderers and 70% of all long-term prison inmates come from a fatherless home. 
And one of my friends, he's a, he's a prison guard, and he said, Chris, most of those guys, even maybe close to 100% of them, had fathers who didn't care or were absent or just simply weren't there. You know, we can spend all the money we like trying to fix crime, but we just need to fix fatherhood in our nation. Our prisons are full of men and women who had no father. You see, our problem in society is not a lack of resource. It's not a a lack of the, the, the things that we need to help us. It's a lack of fathers. That's the problem with our society. And we need to understand the importance. Dads, you need to get this in your spirit. You might be the only person that can make a difference in your child's life. And if you're not there, if you're absent, if you're too busy with your work, if you're too frustrated with what's going on around you and you just check out of your family, you're going to make your child a statistic. Bottom line, most of the social pathologies disrupting our lives today can be traced to fatherlessness. The Old Testament ends with Malachi 4.6. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I come and strike their land with total destruction. God's heart is that fathers and sons reconnect. That we as fathers stand up and bring our children into the loving care of God. Jesus came to reveal the Father to us. And I want to encourage you that even if you don't have a dad, if you're a single mom and you're trying to raise kids, God can be that father. He can be that father. And and don't give up. Don't despair. Just bring the heavenly father into your home because he can be the father. And my last scripture, Psalm 2710, is a promise of the father, the father to all of you who don't have a father, to all of you maybe who are single mums. Psalm 27.10 says, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. And I want to tell you tonight, the Lord wants to receive you. He wants to receive you right now. He wants to bring the prodigals home. He wants to bring the hurting home. He wants to bring those who are lost and struggling and not understanding the power of His love. And He wants to bring you home right now. And I want you to just close your eyes and bow your heads right now. No one looking around. I just want to ask you if, if as I've been preaching tonight, you're one of those. You're one of those who you know that you're lost, you're hurting, you need hope, you need a Father to come and surround you. And you know, maybe you know Jesus, maybe you don't know Him, I don't care. What you need is the Father's love tonight. And I want to ask you if that's you, just raise your hand. Just raise your hand right now.